and welcome to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where Dan Delzella, myself, Son Edom, talk about the things that go on in this world through a biblical perspective. And I like to use the term biblical perspective as opposed to labeling it Christian perspective or religious perspective, because oftentimes today there's a lot of uh, variations of what a Christian might be or what religion might be. And, and so when you bring it back to the biblical context, it's what the Bible says and how does that relate to things going on today. And Dan, one of the things that, you know, you and I have been talking about uh, recently is the fact that, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of legalism out there. There's a lot of variance to uh, the Christian faith. You know, we've talked about how I've shared the story when I was working with a Christian talk show. We put out there that, you know, the Bible specifically says in John fourteen six, Jesus talking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me or but through me, depending on your translation, biblical translation. And then we take phone calls asking the question, the Bible says this, are there other ways to get to heaven? And people would give us their resumes of their Christian faith, and then they would turn around and say, yeah, there's other ways to get to heaven. But yet they'd be adamant on going to Sunday school, going to this prominent church, and this being with this prominent pastor, and yet their beliefs were different than what the Bible would say, or contrary to what the Bible would say. And I grew up kind of like in a, not in a legalistic system, per se, but the schools, I went to private schools, they were religious schools, and there was a lot of legalism in there. And so as I was breaking away from that legalism, people would look at it as rebellion, but actually what it was was me freeing myself from the legalism and getting more into what Jesus had talked about in the New Testament. And then it turned into, instead of me just believing anything that was told to me, doesn't matter who it is, doesn't matter how trusted that person is to me, I always check things with the Bible and always make sure that what is being said or what is being spoken, preached, whatever, goes with what the Bible has to say. And a lot of people would call me cynical or maybe skeptical. And so I thought maybe that's what we could talk about today is, you know, being a skeptic and questioning things versus being a cynic and just turning away those that have opposite opinions and opposite views of you. Where's the balance? And what do we do when people that we even respect and trust are talking to us about biblical things? Do we just automatically accept it or should we challenge it and look it up and make sure that's what being what is being said is actually true and Bible based? Yeah, I think that's such a great idea, Son. I mean, I think about the Bereans in the book of Acts who were commended because they didn't just take what Paul said at face value, but they compared it to what Scripture says. And and we're always to do that as believers as we seek to navigate these waters and and not drift off into I'll, I'll go with two of the isms you um, you pointed to in your intro there um, not drift off into on one hand universalism um, or on the other hand legalism you know universalism is this idea that you know basically everyone's going to go to heaven um, it goes right along with this idea that there's more than one way to get to God you know all religions as long as they're sincere. Uh, can can get you to God. Well, well, the Bible comes along and just blows that ism out of the water 
by showing us that that we have broken God's commandments, that we're sinful, that no one through their religious efforts can get to God. Uh, you know, uh, Saul of Tarsus was a devout Jew before he was converted and, and became a Christian and was saved. And he would go on to write, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so he stopped boasting, son, in his religion and in his works and, and in his um you know, his just devout uh, life of Judaism, and he began to boast in the cross because he came to know by revelation, the Lord revealed the gospel to him. He said, I did not, this was not revealed to me by any man, you know, but the Lord revealed to him the gospel. And and then that is just uh, plastered across the pages of the New Testament, this message that we are saved by grace through faith. Um, You know, Paul wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to the salvation of everyone who believes. And so, uh, he started to preach um, not universalism, uh, not not Judaism, um, but rather um, this message of salvation by grace through faith. And of course, Paul continued to love his, his Jewish uh, his Jewish brothers and so forth. He um, but but he recognized that whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you have sin, and in order to be saved, you need Christ. So universalism says, "Hey, y'all come, y'all saved." Um, but Christianity says, "Jesus." Says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we want to present that with grace, with humility, but also with boldness and clarity. Because on an emotional level, it would be very easy just to say, well, yeah, you know, as long as somebody's sincere, God's going to bring him into heaven. But that completely contradicts Scripture. And so we know that that is not the case, no matter how warm it would feel to say that and believe that. So universalism universalism gets blown out of the water, um, but so also does legalism. And you referred to that, Son. Um, and legalism is uh, when, when, when people start to major on minor issues or secondary issues and start to turn those into, uh, you know, like conditions for salvation. Well, if, if uh, you know, if you, uh, you know, used to be over the years, over the decades, you know, if you go to a movie or, you know, if you, um, you know, if you dance or, you know, if, if you wear makeup or jewelry or whatever it might be, you know, well, you can't be a Christian. Well, those those are all just um, things that, you know, individual Christians need to have the freedom to decide, you know, in, in, in what way they feel um, would be most God honoring in their life. But to put those um, to, to put those chains on people, that's legalism. And, and that is contrary to the gospel. So we're navigating these waters between um, between legalism and between universalism, uh, trying to stay on course. And then you mentioned, Simon, what I, I think we're going to be talking about today, you know, you, you mentioned mentioned that we, we run into many times people who are, um, in some cases, cynical. They're cynics, um, which basically means that, um, you know, they're not open-minded. Um, you know, the word literally means to, like, be sneering and, and, and just to be, um, you know, very, very negative about, about people, especially about Christians. Um, but you're, you're just cynical. You, you don't have any trust in people or their motives, and, and you don't have any openness to the claims of Christ and the evidence for Christianity. That would be a cynic, whereas a skeptic, um, a lot of times people confuse those two words. They, they kind of use the word skeptic for someone who just, you know, refuses to believe or something like this. But, but actually, the word skeptic just means to be thoughtful and inquiring 
and and investigating the evidence. So skeptical, being skeptical is a good thing. Whether you embrace Christianity, whether you embrace atheism, uh, whether you embrace you know some other belief system, and and atheism is a belief system just like Christianity is, and there are many others. You know Hinduism and uh, Buddhism and many others. But but. Um, you know, the, the thing that we have to keep in mind with skepticism is that, is that Thomas was a skeptic. You know, we call him Doubting Thomas, but he kind of got a bad rap for that because all Thomas wanted was evidence that Jesus had risen from the dead. You know, he's being told by his fellow disciples, we've seen him, we've seen him. Thomas is like, oh, hey, great, you know, uh, I'm happy for you, but until I see him, uh, I'm not going to believe. Until I put my hands, you know, uh, where those nail marks were and so forth, you know, uh, I'm not going to believe. Well, the Lord Lord revealed himself to Thomas in the flesh, just as he had to the other disciples. And so skeptical Thomas um, quickly came to know that Jesus had risen from the dead. So as, as we think about the difference today between skeptics and cynics, skeptics are open-minded. I mean, I'm using now the, the real meaning of the word. Skeptics are open-minded. Skeptics are willing to examine the evidence. Skeptics want to discover the truth. Cynics are very close to anything that runs contrary to their prejudices and, um, and, and just their, their ideas. I mean, the Pharisees, for example, in the New Testament, uh, you know, most of them were very cynical about Jesus of Nazareth. They weren't, they weren't open. It didn't seem, I mean, yeah, granted, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night in John three. So I would say he was more of a, of, of a skeptical, open-minded kind of a seeking, you know, he was a word seeker, uh, seeker and skeptical. Um, those, those a lot of times go together again, you know, because if you're an open-minded skeptic, skeptic, you want to find the truth, even if it runs contrary to your current beliefs. So yeah, I think it's a great topic to, uh, to dive into and, and, um, you know, it's good to encourage people to not just take things at face value. You know, Dan, growing up, one of the things or one of the people that always seemed to kind of get a, a bad rap was Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas. And he was the one that had to, you know, actually put his fingers in the hands of Jesus and in his side and basically get evidence to see that Jesus was Jesus. And a lot of people, I remember growing up, whether it be Sunday school or in Bible classes, you know, Thomas was the guy that was always kind of frowned upon. Like, he should have just had faith. He should have just believed. And I think to myself over the years, you know, I think I'm more Thomas probably than anybody else because yeah. I'm one that I, I don't need an evidence per se, but I'm not just going to trust that somebody in the name of God is yeah. speaking biblical truth. You know, I mean, you see it, we've talked about it on TV. You know, there's a lot of prosperity gospel out there that isn't biblical-based or biblical truth. It's just heresy and false doctrine, and yet people will suck it up because the preacher, in quotes, is preaching about God, in quotes, and saying that God is telling you uh, to do this, or people that have that word of the Lord, that kind of, you know, God's telling me, uh, I've got a word from the Lord for you, and he's telling me that you got to do this, you know. Anyways, so just because somebody is speaking in the name of God or someone is yeah. speaking in the name of Christianity, you know, I'm not just going to automatically believe it, you know. And there's a right. number of people that I can run down the laundry list of people that I've known that have automatically followed or listened to or believed the words of these preachers, which are actually false teachers, yeah. And yeah. so for me, I'm not going to just sit there and believe anybody based on what they say. I need to make sure that it is followed up by scripture. If I don't understand what's being said, I'm going to question and 
ask about, and I've done it many times, you know, I've done it many times where I've had to call youth pastors or I've called preachers at a church I'm going to, and I'm like, hey, we need to discuss what you said on Sunday, and um, it kind of leads to a conversation, and okay, maybe I misunderstood you, okay, this is where you're coming from, and yeah, I get clarification, but there's a lot of people that won't even sit there and question the authority of a pastor because for some reason they have a godlike image of them, and in reality, they're just being used by God to spread the word. And if that word is being uh, not interpreted properly or the message is being muddled, then there needs to be clarification because that's how people get led astray. Well, son, you are hitting upon such a critical point, And I think you are speaking something here that every Christian would be so wise to follow um, because you're exactly right. Um, there's this tendency many times. Uh, within us human beings, that if there's a spiritual leader, a religious leader that is sharing something, that somehow um, we should assume, you know, that what they're speaking is true. It's almost like this feeling that we're kind of made to have when we go to the doctor in a way. Um, I mean, I have great respect for doctors um, and, and for their knowledge and for all their years of study and for the fact that so many times they get it right, okay? But that doesn't mean that I have a just a blind acceptance of anything a doctor says. You know, th- there's a reason why why many people will go for a second opinion or a third opinion, because that's exactly what it is. It's an opinion. I, I mean, you know, sometimes I, I know there are some things that are, you know, very conclusive and, and a doctor, um, you know, is, is, can be pretty sure that, you know, he, he's 100 percent or she's 100 percent right with what they're saying. But but we are dealing with fallible human beings beings, whether we're talking doctors, whether we're talking religious leaders, and if a doctor's opinion can be, uh, can be off base, um, dealing with our physical health, uh, how much more critical is it if we have a religious leader who is off base, and we're not going to know that it's off base unless we compare it with scripture, unless we talk with uh, other, you know, informed Christians, um, you know, there will be a consensus around truth. Um, And, you know, while there are certainly secondary doctrines upon which, you know, Christians differ and and Bible believing Christians uh, do not come to the same answer on a secondary issue on the core issues of the Christian faith. There is there is unity, for example, um, you know, for 2000 years now, uh, Christians have agreed that that, that God uh, took on human flesh, the second person of the Trinity, uh, you know, took on a human nature, uh, that the, the Jesus was born of a virgin uh, there in Bethlehem, uh, that he grew up to live a sinless life. Uh, never sinning even one time, that he died a sacrificial death on the cross, an atoning death for our sins, and, and that then he experienced a glorious resurrection and was witnessed by hundreds of his followers and a number of his uh, inner circle, his closest apostles then, would, would go on to become martyrs for the faith. So um, I believe one of the strongest evidences for the resurrection of Christ um, along with, of course, the, just the, the words of Scripture, the, the, the testimony of the Bible, which we can rely on. That, that's, the, you know, that, that's the number one evidence right there. It's the eyewitness testimony that we have in Holy Scripture. Um, right along with that, I would say, Son, for the, for the skeptic, for the open-minded person, um, I, I think maybe uh, one of the strongest evidences is that these who were closest to Christ 
were willing to go out then and even die for the message of the resurrection. Now, remember, these men were frightened. They were tucked away uh, in a room, hiding for fear of the Jews um, after Jesus was crucified. They did not yet get it, even though Jesus had told them he would die and and then rise again. They were just not quite yet at the point of understanding what this was all about. So um, they were afraid. And if they had not come face to face with the Lord and been able to touch him and see, hey, this really is Jesus. Uh, He has risen from the dead, just as he said. If they had not seen him, son. There is no way that they would have gone out and fabricated this this uh, idea and then even been willing to die for a lie while knowing it was a lie, which they would have known, of course, if he had not risen from the dead. Nowhere in history do we find people dying for a lie while knowing it's a lie. Um, on 9-11, uh, those terrorists died for a lie, but they were convinced it was the truth. Uh, they did not go to their death thinking, well, you know, we, we, we know this isn't true. Uh, we know we're not really going to just be ushered immediately into the presence of all these virgins waiting for us in paradise. Uh, we know that's just all kind of spin, but we're going to do it anyway. You know, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, you know, take our lives and the lives of others in the name of our religion, um, even though we know it's a lie. No, that, that wasn't at all their perspective. They were convinced that they had the truth. And it's only, um, you know, when they, when they lost their life in that next, you know, blink of, a, of an eye, um, and, and they began to see immediately as their souls were not ushered into paradise, but rather were, were dragged away to Hades, like the rich man in Luke 16. And, and those terrorists remain in Hades today. Um, they remain bound there in that prison, that, that jail. It's, it's kind of like the county jail of hell. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, the, uh, the English word hell in our, in our Bibles, there, there are several Greek words that are used. Um, for example, in Luke 16, the rich man went to Hades. And, and so that's kind of like the county jail, I, I like to call it, of hell. Um, that's where you go before Judgment Day, before you go to stand before the judge, just like people who are in county jail right now, before they go for their, um, for their court appearance, for their trial, or, or maybe their sentencing, um, they are in the county jail. Um, but then there is the, the eternal prison of hell, Gehenna which um, referred to the, uh, the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where the fire never went out. And that word is used for hell as well. Uh, for example, it says that the devil in Revelation uh, 20, verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So the devil will be thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, Revelation talks about all those whose names are not in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. Um, so into, into Gehenna, into that eternal fire, um, and even Hades itself, even the county jail of hell, will, will, will then be, be, be tossed into Gehenna. So it's a very sobering, frightening thought. Not frightening for the believer, because we have the assurance of salvation, but frightening from the standpoint of, of thinking of, of, of people going there. And Jesus often spoke of, 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 of hell as being just as real as heaven. And, and, and so you know, we, we, we need to be about the task of sharing the gospel, um, that God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
And, and God wants, uh, you know, everyone to repent and believe the good news. And yet there is this reality of, of both heaven and hell. And, um, and so our work is cut out for us. But um, the good news is that, you know, anyone can, can turn to Christ today, can be, uh, can be forgiven of their sins. And, and, and then, son, when we do that, we find that there's this body of believers around the world who agree with one another on the essentials of the Christian faith. Again, you know, the virgin birth, uh, the sinless life of Christ, the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one God. And what do you find with the groups that, that, that change those doctrines? You, you, you find that you have cults. You find that you have groups that are not accepted by the Christian church because they have redefined um, what they feel is kind of an improved version of Christianity, maybe. Maybe they'll, you know, they'll come to your door and say, oh, we're Christians. But, but when you talk to them, they don't believe that Jesus is the eternal God along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. They don't teach salvation by grace through faith. They ultimately are teaching people to have to work their way into heaven. And they have all sorts of other crazy ideas that did not come from the Bible. And, and so it all goes back to, Son, why it's so important to do what you just said that you do and that any wise Christian does. And that is, don't take a religious leader's word for it. Um, look at Scripture. Talk with other Christians, too, and, and don't be duped just because somebody says, oh, hey, you know, I, I have a word from God. Um, you know, I, I have a message for you. Well, okay, go ahead. Share your message, and we'll see what it's all about. You know, I used to watch this TV show called The X-Files, which is, you know, based in the paranormal, the supernatural. A lot of it was focused on aliens. And aliens and aliens and people, E.T. and, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You know, there's always a fascination with people and aliens. And I don't mind engaging in conversation, but I don't believe in extraterrestrials. I don't believe there's men on Mars. I don't believe anybody from someplace else is going to come here and take over. Um, I don't believe there's intelligent life other place. Um, but I'll listen to the conversation. But I don't go out of my way to disprove it. So yeah. with all that being said, I find it interesting that sometimes cynics or possibly we could call them atheists – will sit and spend a lot of time trying to debunk or prove something doesn't exist, something that they don't believe in exists, if that makes sense. So they sit there and they say, you know, an atheist basically is someone who doesn't believe in God or maybe doesn't believe in a God. But yet with the Christian God, the biblical God, they'll sit there and they will constantly try to disprove something that they don't believe even exists. It would be like yeah. me trying to disprove the fact that there's no aliens even though I don't believe in aliens. And so I find it interesting. And so even some of the cynics, even some of the people out there, and you've you know, talked about it before, you mentioned in the article that we're referring to, is that you know, Hugh Ross was a, a guy that went to an atheist convention and was sharing with them, and he came to a realization. And so maybe if you could just kind of share that from what yeah. you've read and that experience from Hugh Ross, because it's interesting because people that usually deny God the most tend to be the ones that truly believe but they're fighting within themselves that belief system because they really don't yeah. want to believe for some reason. And there's usually an underlining root cause of why they don't want to believe. Yeah, absolutely. Son. And yes, uh, thank you. I, uh, I did uh, refer to Hugh Ross in that, in my latest article there in the Christian post uh, entitled resentment hinders cynics from becoming skeptics. And, and uh, you know, Hugh Ross, when he grew up in his, in his early years, you know, he really would have been, you know, more of an atheist. Um, uh, although he says he, he was reading like four or five physics books 
uh, a week. Uh, I think it was a week, you know, by the time he was uh, uh, like seven years old. And but he was just, you know, uh, he's just such a brilliant. He's a brilliant astrophysicist. But back then he was still an atheist. He said somebody gave him an, uh, a Gideon's Bible uh, when he was a teenager. Um, you know, he, he gave his life to Christ, trusted Jesus as a savior, became a Christian. And, um, you know, he's been he's been sharing, you know, wonderful things about um, the two books, as he likes to call it, you know, ever since. You know, there's the book of nature through which God speaks to us. You know, Romans uh, speaks there in uh, in Romans one, how, you know, men are without excuse because, you know, uh, God's uh, qualities are clearly seen by what is seen around us. So there's the book of nature. And and Hugh Ross is just brilliant when it comes to uh, his work with astronomy and everything. Um, But then there's, of course, the book of the Bible, which, which gives us the doctrine. I mean, we, we, uh, we need more than the book of nature that, that tells us there is a God, but the, the, the Bible tells us the gospel and how to be saved. And anyway, Hugh Ross, uh, was at that conference you referred to there years ago, son, he, uh, he was speaking to this, this group of, uh, they, they called themselves skeptics. Um, but it was really a group of atheists from around the world. And, and, uh, Hugh Ross said they flew in like 750 people from around the world and five lectures were, were given um, by world-renowned scientists, and, and the, the topic all kind of dealt with the non-existence of God, which is kind of interesting. Now, Hugh Ross had actually been invited to that conference in order to debate. Uh, I think it was one of those guys, actually. So he was kind of, uh, you know, kind of the maybe the token Christian brought in to, you know, let, let's and maybe they had enough respect for him just to have him there. I don't know, whatever their motives, they, they had him there. So after um, at the end of the conference there, uh, he was standing around and, and talking with a bunch of these uh, the atheists. And, and, you know, Hugh Ross is so uh, cordial and easy to listen to and so gentle in his approach, um, you know, regardless of your beliefs and so accepting of people, um, even when he disagrees with their, uh, you know, their ideas. But anyway, he's sharing with these folks and, and he told the, the scientists, he said, hey, he said, I've uh, I have uh, discovered one more proof for the God of the Bible by being here this weekend. And they were like, well, wait a minute, how could you ever, you know, we, we've talked about the opposite of that. No, but Hugh Ross said, well, well, here's, here's what I've discovered. He said, he said, I, I, I found that all of these lecturers, um, that every one of them um, in, in seeking to, to prove the non-existence of God, they only talked about the God of the Bible. Uh, they didn't talk about the God of, of Islam. They didn't talk about the gods of Hinduism or Buddhism. They only talked about the non-existence of the God of the Bible. And then Hugh Ross made a great point. He said, what this tells me is that they really do believe uh, uh, the, the God of the Bible is real, but um, it's just that they don't like him. Um, because if they didn't believe he was real, then they would treat him like the tooth fairy or the great pumpkin. You know, they wouldn't be talking about him as much. And, and, and the other thing he said is the fact that they were talking for an hour each and with so much passion, um, it shows me that, that there's some emotional thing here going on, some, you know, level of resentment. There's something going on uh, that led Hugh Ross then to ask these, these scientists. He said, you know, please tell me, why do you hate God so much? And then they told him, son, something very revealing. They said, um, it's not that we hate the God of the Bible. They said, it's just that we despise his followers. And that was so revealing because they, they preceded them, preceded them to, to tell Hugh Ross stories about how they had encountered abuse or mistreatment at the hands of 
um, you know, I'll call professing Christians. Uh, they, they just said at the hands of Christians, um, you know, how many of those people who, who, uh, you know, gave them that abuse were Christian or not. I mean, only God knows, but the bottom line is it turned them off greatly to Christianity. So, um, that seems to be the cause of their resentment. That seems to be the cause of their, uh, of their cynicism. And, and, uh, to go with the, the correct usage of these words that we're looking at today, I would say, son, that they, they, those scientists went to that conference, not as skeptics, even though, um, that was the title of their conference, but they went as cynics. Now, some of them may have left uh, as skeptics. Some of them may have, have taken what Hugh Ross said to heart and recognized that it was the resentment within them that was hindering them from even being open-minded and being skeptical. Um, and hopefully some of them made that made that leap then from cynicism to skepticism because you've got to be open-minded. I mean, unless you're someone like Saul of Tarsus who is just instantly converted and, and you're brought from cynic to Christian instantly. Um, for a lot of others, there's going to be a process of going from cynicism to skepticism, through skepticism, and then Christianity. So it was a very revealing thing that Hugh Ross shared there. And we need to remember, Son, when we're dealing with an atheist or a cynic, uh, a lot of times there's emotional pain that they're dealing with, uh, maybe because of the way they were raised or going back to what we said about before. Maybe they were in a very legalistic situation, and, and so now they resent religion, they resent the followers of Christ, and we need to pray and ha ask God to to use us to listen to their story, to be empathetic, and then to try to help them to see. And Hugh Ross even said this to them. He, he said, you know, do you, do you realize how illogical it is? To, 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 in essence, um, keep yourself from the, the God of the Bible and his perfect love and sinlessness. I mean, to, to, to block him out because of the way these other religious folks have treated you, you know, do you realize that's illogical? And, and he said that, of course, to them very gracefully and carefully. But, but that's the point then, Son, that, that cynics, if they can come to see, and that was why I wrote the article, if cynics can come to see that if they will own their animosity, it doesn't justify what was done to them. Um, and and I, would, I would say to anybody listening, if you've been mistreated in a religious setting or by a professing Christian, I'm very sorry you went through that. It's very, very unfortunate. Um, having said that, you know, God, God is for you. He's not against you. And God loves you. And he sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins. And that's what Christianity is about, embracing the God of the Bible, the very one these scientists were, were claiming didn't exist while they ignored the God of uh, small g now, the small g, the God of Islam, the God of gods of, uh, you know, Hinduism and Buddhism, but that they majored on the God because deep down, I think they know he's the true God, but but they can't get past this, this just um, resentment they have towards some followers of Christ. So that seems to be the key point, Son, that we can help pray people and guide people and lead people over that hurdle. And, and it's, not a, it's not an easy one. You know, it's not an easy one to get over, but God will help people to get there. Uh, but they're, they're going to have to then also be willing to say, Lord, you know, not, not just what these people did to me, but, you know, where am I going off the rails, Lord? Where have I sinned? And then you start to get closer to, you know, the salvation of, of an atheist, let's say, who has been turned off to God because of maybe certain people. But ultimately, he's going to have to, he or she's going to have to get back to their own sinfulness, their own need for the Savior. And this is what Hugh Ross was given when he, you know, when he was given that Gideon's Bible and came to know Christ as Savior, 
He came to see what it's all about. And that's, you know, that that's now the goal of Christians is to spread that message of hope uh, in the gospel. It also points out, Dan, that as Christians, as Bible believing Christians, it's we've got some responsibility to to bear, to be able to make sure that we represent as a witness to those people what it is to be a true Christ like follower. Now, granted, we're not perfect. The Bible even talks about there is none righteous, not even one, for all of sin falls short of the glory of God. And so we are going to sin. We are going to have moments where it's not our best. And um, people might witness that, and then that might affect them a certain way, maybe much like some of these atheists witnessed. But if we are genuine in our witness, if yes. we're genuine in our testimony, we're going to realize Things are going to be up. Things are going to be down. We're going to have good days. We're going to have bad days. We're going to have good times where we're going to be a good testimony and a good witness for Christ, and other times we're not going to be so much. But right. what we do is if we're genuinely conscious about it, then mm-hmm. we're not going to be the impedance from somebody seeing Jesus. You know, yeah. Ultimately, it comes down yeah. to that person. You know, they, They've got to be responsible for their own. But we don't want to be the impedance that's going to keep somebody from wanting to seek Jesus. You know, and that's the thing that a lot of people kind of miss out on, I think, is that they don't, you know, because, you know, we talk about legalism, we talk about free will, we talk about Old Testament versus New Testament. You know, we've talked about the balance between law and gospel. You know, a lot of times there's people that preach just all law, no gospel. A lot of churches will preach just gospel, no law, basically mean you could do whatever you want. And there's, you know, as long as you kind of, you know, give your apologies or your repentance, then you're going to be okay. But there's got to be a balance between law and gospel where we follow Mm -hmm. Christ and we truly try to live that perfect life. But yet we realize that when we do fail and there's times that we're going to fail on purpose, there's times we're going to fail accidentally. Um, Mm -hmm. However we fail that there is forgiveness in that, but we want to keep people. We don't want to keep people from seeing Jesus. We don't want to be that impedance. We need to make sure that we're checking our lives every day. Not only that we're following Jesus, but that we're not being somebody who's going to be one of those people that someone that might be an atheist might look in and be like, Oh, I don't want to be a follower of Christ because of that person. Oh, for sure. Son. It reminds me of the saying, it's one thing if the gospel offends someone, it's another thing if you do. And and the sad reality, and maybe we've all been guilty of this at times, I'm guessing, but the sad reality, Son, is that, you know, there have been so many unbelievers turned off by the behavior of professing Christians that they haven't even, you know, even started to wrestle with the claims of Christ and, and, and the message of the gospel because they've been so turned off by certain behavior or abuse or legalism or something to this extent. Uh, you know, I'd like to say one word, too, and, and, and you mentioned, too, Son, how, you know, even as Christians, um, you know, there's always those, those avenues where there may be um, unintentional sin or even intentional sin, um, you know, I think about the Bible verse that says if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. The message there in that verse in Hebrews is that deliberate sin is far more damaging um, to our spiritual life um, than uh, than. I'll call it unintentional sin or maybe hasty sin, accidental sin. I mean, sin is sin and sin separates us from God. But, but, but the point is this, it would be like in a home son, if, if, uh, if parents told, um, you know, their little, uh, you know, six year old, Hey, um, don't touch those cookies on that plate until after dinner. And, and the six year old snuck over there and ate a couple cookies before dinner. And the parents find out, 
Uh, and so they sit down again, you know, we, Hey, we got like a half hour before dinner. Uh, what did we just say? You know, that, no, that you cannot have those before dinner. Um, and so another 15 minutes goes by and that child goes back, you know, get, grabs a couple more, eats them again. So we're starting to see a pattern now of deliberate disobedience. So this is going to rightly uh, cause the parents more um, indignation um, because it is such a deliberate violation. Not, not that it is some big world event that your six-year-old is, you know, taking cookies before dinner, um, but, but it, it, it's the, the, the principle of it. it. It's the motive behind it. it. It's the condition of the heart that, that would, would allow a child in their mind to, to be told that this is wrong and then for them to go against uh, their parents' um, order there and, and perhaps maybe even against their conscience, you would hope. Uh, so, so the point is this, as Christians, when we sin against the word of God and against our conscience by deliberate sin, that is a more serious offense in the sense of, of, of how much it uh, is going to be offending the Lord. Um, you know, I think of the psalm uh, where the psalmist said, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I'll be innocent of great transgression. It's interesting that the psalmist pointed to willful, willful sins. You know, many times, son, you know, when people are being tried in a courtroom, I mean, it, it comes down to, you know, is this, say, first-degree murder? Is this premeditated murder? Now, if it's if it's second-degree murder or if it's manslaughter, um, and let's just say manslaughter, for example, that is going to be dealt with less seriously in terms of the punishment because it's not – um, it's not seen to be as great of an offense as premeditated murder. And, and so there is something within us human beings, Son, that we know, and justice calls for greater punishment for deliberate violations. And, and I simply go into all that just to say that we as Christians, um, God will help us to guard our hearts so that we don't become double-minded. Um, if we ever become double-minded on a sin issue as a Christian, then um, it's like we're, we're, we're kind of, you know, keeping one foot in the camp of sin, one foot um, with, with God, and um, you know, and yet, and yet, we're we're still we're still um, really kind of deliberately engaging in it at times, and and so we're going to be a lot happier. If by God's grace, we, we pull back from that deliberate sin. Now, it doesn't mean we'll never sin again. It doesn't mean we may never deliberately commit it or accidentally commit it. But, but my point is, just like with a little six-year-old child, if our heart is such that we can deliberately sin against God, especially in an area where, you know, he's been trying to show us through his word and through a conviction of sin, hey, this is not pleasing to me. Um, this should not be pleasing to you as, as one of my followers. And, and if instead we kind of ignore that, 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 that leading of the Holy Spirit and, and we say, well, no, I'm going to do it my way on that issue because I know that, you know, it's sin, but I'm still going to do it. And, and we're not, of course, talking here, Son, about these, these legalistic requirements that people put on others with these the, these things that, that should not be, um, you know, considered uh, sinful. But we're just talking about things that, you know, Scripture clearly says, you know, I mean, whether it be gossip, whether it be, you know, lying, I mean, whatever it is, we just want to be careful as believers that, that we, we pray to God not only for forgiveness, but Lord, help me 
um, to, um, to not go against your word, certainly not to do it deliberately, not to go against my conscience, which you've given me as a gift, because the Bible does talk about those who, who can sear their consciences. And it even talks on this, it goes back to the courtroom thing again. It, it even talks about those whose consciences are, um, accusing them now, even defending them. And, and so what seems to happen if a person has a seared conscience is God gave you that, that gift of a conscience to be like a prosecuting attorney inside your soul. So that when, when, when your mom and dad say, don't get a cookie, you know, before dinner, you go and do it. Um, God gave you a conscience to say that was wrong. So in addition to your parents saying it, your conscience is telling you that was wrong or, or don't go and steal that item at the store. And we see people now, you know, running into stores and, um, smash and grabs and all these things. Um, well, they, they've gone against their conscience so many times they have violated their conscience that it no longer accuses, uh, no longer accuses them. Now it defends them. And, and the sad condition of the human heart, son, is that some people's conscience uh, is no longer their prosecuting attorney. Now it becomes their defense attorney. And when your conscience is defending your violations of the law, and, you know, as some of these people probably go, well, you know, um, these big companies shouldn't have all these things. Um, we need to spread the wealth. Um, I, I, I have a rough life. I don't make what they make. So I can go in and loot this store now that the city's on fire. I can go in and take whatever I want. That's their, that's their conscience now defending them. Now your conscience has become your defense attorney. You are violating God's command. Thou shalt not steal, but you're doing it without any sense of guilt or shame whatsoever. And, and that is what we want to avoid. Of course, son, we don't ever want our conscience to be defending uh, sinful behavior. And that's one of the many, many reasons why um, God says, be holy because I, the Lord, your God am holy. Why the Bible says everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness because it is a trap. Um, and any of us will become trapped if we just continually give ourselves over to sin. Um, and so the Bible is clear that, that sin is very dangerous. And, and so, you know, kill your sin before it kills you. Uh, in other words, say no to it. Um, don't let it, don't start feeding your flesh uh, with sin or before you know it, you'll be, you'll be making excuses, doing it deliberately. And that's just the nature of man. You know, Dan, one of the things that um, the church as a whole, when it comes to prayer and stuff, we think of it as a reverent thing. Obviously, we want to be reverent toward God. But what people also don't realize is that God isn't just a reverent deity. He's a friend. He's someone who's yeah. there that yeah. we, we, can, we can approach as if he is a buddy. And I don't want to be that irreverent, but it's like people think we have to come to God. Oh, Lord, our Heavenly Father, bless thee, thine day, you know, and get all reverent. But really, it could be like, hey, God, you know what? I don't know if I believe in you. I don't know what this is all about. I've seen this, this, and this. Work on my heart. You know, it could be something as right. simple and, and, and every day, just as if you're talking to a buddy. We don't have to approach him yeah. in a reverent way, per se, when we're dealing with these issues. You know, like you write in the article, you could say something to the effect of, Jesus, if you're there, I want to share something with you. You know, I've been turned off by yeah. Christianity. You know, we... God, I, I don't believe in you. God, I believe this. 
um, you know, help me figure this out, you know, and that's all we have to do is we don't have to come to him in a certain way, in a certain manner with all the, the dress and the, and the pomp and circumstance of how the church or what we might see as prayer in the church. We could just come to him basically and be like, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. Can you help me? You know, as simple as that. And, and I think that a lot of times people kind of miss that. They miss the idea that they, they can approach God in just a common way. And just by mm-hmm. talking to him, talking to him as, he, if he's, if he's, as if he's in the room right there with us, talking to him as if, hey, you know what, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if you exist. I don't know if this is the right thing to do. I don't know if what's going on over here in my life is, is true. I don't know about this church. Right. I don't know what about this pastor dude's talking about. Can you kind of give me some clarification? Can you help me out? Yeah. You know, you can just come to him as you are. You don't have to come to him in any certain way. Just come to him as you are. But the point is, just right. go to him and ask yeah. And he will yeah. then reveal to you what it is that you're seeking, either the yes or the no's in, in what you're trying to pursue. Yeah, amen to that, Son. And, and, and you know, those few sentences I wrote there at the end of that article, um, were, it was a very different sort of, um, you know, prayer, if you will, a very different sort of wording than maybe I would typically use in an article where maybe someone is, is calling on God with, you know, a definite faith in, um, in the gospel and in Christ. It, it was more of kind of a lifeline being offered to that, to that cynic or that, that, that now that new skeptic. Um, to, to, who, who maybe is not yet ready to embrace Christ as Savior, but who is ready. It's kind of like, Son, you know, the, the move that many um, physicists have, have been forced to make um, because of all of the um, – all of the information we've learned about the fine tuning of the universe, you know, these decisions that many astronomers have made where, where they've, they, they can no longer in good conscience be an atheist because it, it is so clear to them now that there is a great mind behind what has been, um, you know, what has been created here. Uh, you know, how can you have billions of planets in our galaxy alone? Um, and yet the, the, the planet is habitable is 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 the is the planet that the Bible speaks of in the first verse in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the planet that is habitable is the is the planet where where God has man and 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 what 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 these folks are learning these scientists are learning is, is that there are so many things that have lined up and if they were just a touch off uh, of this fine tuning, um, we would not be able to have life on, on the planet. So where I'm going with that is many of them, son, have made the, they've made the step from atheist in some cases to deist, where they have not yet made the step into Christianity, but, but they have come to terms with the fact that, um, there is some mind behind, um, the creation. And, and, um, so, so that's a step in the right direction. Now, your soul is not saved uh, until you bring your sin to Jesus and receive his forgiveness and his free gift. But that was the point, though, of that, of that little prayer um, that I had at the end of this article was to give that person who might be a deist, let's say, or who might be going from, you know, atheism to, to, uh, to deism, maybe not quite yet to Christianity. Um, and that's why I, I phrased it differently than I probably 
ever have maybe an article where it started out, Jesus, if you were there. So, so it allows the person to honestly reach out to God. It doesn't put words in their mouth that they don't yet believe, um, because for the person who does not yet know that Jesus is there, as you and I know and as believers know, uh, because we've come to know him not only as our Savior, but as you said, son, as our friend. And, and we've come to see that he is our friend, he is our redeemer, and and, and, that, and, and that, as you said, being reverent, um, being reverent before the Lord, you know, we don't have to use the these and the thous, but a holy reverence before God, a profound respect for God, um, you know, that, that directs that how we approach him. Um, he is always, um, you know, our, our God, the one true God, and, and we never uh, want to approach him in a flippant attitude. Um, but, but uh, you know, as you said, we can approach him wherever we're at. Um, you know, there are people, son, as we know, who cried out to God, Lord, if you're real, just give me a sign. Hey, that's where they're at. Now, that's not where you or I are at because we know God is real. So God's brought us further than that. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, we're not wondering. He, he's revealed himself to us through the word. But there are people, obviously, who have not gotten to that point yet. Some very intelligent people, by the way, who have not yet gotten to that point. But um God will meet them where they're at, and, and then eventually, once you're saved on the front end of your relationship with God, and the Bible uses terms like redeemed, justified, born again, forgiven, saved, um, when you accept Christ as your Savior, um, then you're in the family of God. Then the relationship begins, and, um, but you can always talk to God right where you're at. And the last thing I'll say there, son, is that goes for the Christian who has fallen off the bus, Maybe has done something that he or she is very ashamed of, or maybe is struggling with something that maybe they don't want to tell anybody else about. You can always talk to God. You can always pour out your heart to God. He will meet you where you're at. And since he already knows what you're feeling, what you've done, what you haven't done, I mean, he already knows it. You might as well talk to him about it because the closer that personal relationship and open line of communication, the more that's flowing, the better off you're going to be. Um, because, you know, if there's one person, you don't want to be fake with. If there's one person you don't want to try to hide your sin from as though you could do that, it's God. If there's one person you don't want to hide your struggle with, or your doubts, or your fears, or your temptations, or your failures, or whatever, it's God. Uh, be, be, because that's then, son, where people really hurt themselves. And, and, and I guess, um, you know, it, it also is one reason that some people, then I would say, son, resort to that tragedy of, of suicide, because in some cases, they, 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 they just don't even feel like God can help them work through what they're struggling with. And, and of course, Satan tries to cloud a person's mind from the truth and from how much God loves them. And that, hey, there is hope and there is, you know, you, there's eternal life. I mean, you know, Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And, and uh, the Bible talks about the book of life that your name gets written in when you trust Christ as Savior. So um, we have so much to look forward to in our future. But in the meantime, our, our mind and our soul will come under attack. Um, we'll feel attacked. Uh, what I mean by that is there'll be spiritual attack from the devil. There'll be our own just doubts and, and human weaknesses that'll get in there. Um, so we need the word of God every day um, to meditate upon, um, to, uh, to really just um, study and, and to fill our hearts and minds with hope and, and with really um, the things that God wants us to be thinking about. The other thing too is that, you know, Sometimes as we as Christians kind of go through our, our walk or daily walk, we might 
become cynical about things. You know, we might, sure. um, I mean, in this, in this, in this day and age of COVID, you know, people have lost mm-hmm. loved ones or, you know, I guess it's that age old question. Why does bad things happen to good people? Why does God allow this to happen? And so on. And so we start to kind of question, become cynical in our, in our daily walk as to why mm-hmm. did this happen? And that's someplace that too, as Christians, we need to be careful with is that we don't become that cynical and realize that yes. even though we might not understand why something happens, we might be questioning it. It doesn't mean that our interpretation of what happened is really the the true reason why it happened. Sometimes things yes. happen for a reason. Sometimes things yes. happen because we're in a, in a fallen world. We don't sometimes really yes. know the plan that God has set forth, and we don't understand it. So we need to also sometimes kind of, especially in these hard times of, of the pandemic yes. and things that we're going through, is be careful that we don't become cynical yes. in the things that we experience. Well, son, you know, that is absolutely correct. I mean, what you're saying, and I'll I'll use this uh, illustration. What you're saying is that even though we're saved, even though God has shined upon us his grace, he's given us the free gift of eternal life, even though we know all these things intellectually, theologically, we know them in our heart and mind, it doesn't mean that there won't ever be dark clouds in that atmosphere of our soul that will come and kind of hover over us um, as a result of, I mean, some people just, you know, they, they, they face depression that maybe is is uh, rooted in um, something physical in their body or, or there's some emotional disturbance or there's some uh, trial that they're going through. I mean, these dark clouds, son, we continue to struggle with. I mean, some of the greatest saints who've ever lived have talked about, I mean, I think about even some of the most famous preachers, whether it be Spurgeon and others. I mean, they've, they've talked about bouts with depression. Um, you know, I mean, my goodness, if somebody thinks because they're a Christian, they're not ever going to face discouragement or dark clouds. So um, it's kind of like Oswald Chambers said in the most popular devotional ever written, my utmost for his highest. What he said is this, son. He said, we have to battle through our moods, okay? When we get to heaven, we're not going to have moods. It's going to all be, you know, super joy and perfection, and there won't be moods. There won't be moodiness. There will be not an ounce of discouragement. There will be no dark clouds in heaven. Um, There are plenty of dark clouds here on earth, uh, both in the culture, uh, sometimes in our thinking. Like you said, you you pointed out, Son, and and rightly so. I mean, maybe we start to look at like maybe a loved one who died from COVID or something else, and and maybe we start to get down on God, or we start to get discouraged by this or that. So um, by God's grace, we need to remain encouraged. And then that's one of the reasons, Son, why it's so important that the Christians, whenever possible, maintain that fellowship, even in these days of COVID, where there's this, you know, kind of this movement, you know, just to kind of go to online, you know, worship. But but here's the thing. Um, we need one another. We need to be in the presence of one another. We need to encourage one another, as the Bible says. And and literally, Son, it's like we're all like in this bubble, okay? And, and, and in our bubble, we're saved, and the Holy Spirit's with us. But you know what? Um, when the bubbles come together— um, there, there's an effect that you can have in your bubble on somebody else's bubble representing their soul, their, their mental and spiritual outlook. Um, there's something about being in person, you know, praying with one another in person, fellowshipping in person. So um, co- 
COVID has, has really put a dent in that because I, I think many Christians don't realize that um, by staying away from um, in-person worship, um, you are missing a whole lot. Uh, yes, you might be getting a great message online, and that's super. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, feeding your mind that way is, is always a great idea to do. Um, but, but if you're missing the in-person fellowship, you're not going to be experiencing the power that they did in the book of Acts, generally speaking. You know, in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They got together often. You know, in the early church, son, they, they celebrated the Lord's Supper together every week. That was a source point of, uh, of power for them. Um, God was strengthening their faith through that, through their fellowship, through their praying together, uh, through, of course, the preaching of the word, which is really, um, you know, really the, the, the central uh, point of, of worship because it's God's word that will, um, you know, renew us and refresh us. So we, we, yes, going back though, to this, just this, this darkness sometimes that we as Christians can have, um, we, we, we need to battle through our moods. We need to help others battle through their moods. Uh, we probably should be careful, you know, how much we're talking when we're in one of those moods, because a lot of times we're, we're talking more in the flesh, you know, than, than in the spirit, you know, uh, my wife and I just celebrated our 31st wedding anniversary and, you know, early on in our marriage. And, and I don't know who we, we really don't do it a whole lot anymore. I guess we don't say it, but, but, but what we used to say, and I, I would say to Tammy, I'd say, Hey, um, you know, when either one of us is like in the flesh, meaning, you know, you're, you're, you're maybe not speaking very kindly or gently or, 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 um, or whatever, you know, that, that we need to tell the other than, Hey, you're in the flesh, you know, uh, as opposed to being in the spirit to kind of almost like a wake up call. Now, you know, the last time son, any of us want to be told we're in the flesh is when we're in the flesh, because, you know, we're, we're cranky or we're grumpy or whatever. Um, we, you know, we all get there at times we're tired and that can, play a big a big role in it but but what i'm saying is um you know we should always be careful you know you know with our speech but that's especially true when we're in a bad mood when we're when we're uh when there's a cloud of darkness hovering over us you know when we're not really you know there are times on that we have very little faith for you know certain things of today i mean yes faith for eternity yeah we're, we're trusting christ for heaven we know that um but we have very little faith for you know what we're going through or what somebody else is going through and maybe we start to speak words of doubt words of fear words of uh you know be, be, because of the mood that we're in so we just have to be careful that that we speak words that will build one another up that will encourage one another and really son words when we're in the spirit um that's why the bible says pray in the spirit you know, on all occasions, because spirit-empowered prayer is faith-filled prayer. Spirit-empowered prayer is prayer that God answers because you're coming to him in faith. You're coming to him in perseverance. You're coming to God in boldness, as we should, in humility, for sure, but also in boldness. So um, the dark clouds of, of, of a Christian's life are, are very real um, in this world. They will continue. Um, but, but through it all, we have that blessed assurance of heaven and the joy of the Lord. And, and, and then son, um, what we find is that those clouds, eventually they dissipate, they, they move on. It's like, wow, I feel so much better today than I, you know, that I was going through that yesterday, but we need to help one another through that. Um, and, and not give up on people and not give up on the Lord, you know, when, when we go through those dark times. Dan Delzell with me and, uh, Dan, we appreciate the time that you, uh, often set aside, 
for us to be able to have these conversations. Uh, we truly appreciate it, your insight and everything. And um, if you want to um, read more about some of the things we talk about in Dan's writings, you can just go to thechristianpost.com, and you can find his writings there. You can just type in his name, Dan Delzell, D-E-L-Z-E-L-L, and his articles will pop up. And, Dan, again, thank you so much. We truly appreciate it. Well, I tell you, Simon, it's totally my pleasure. You know, one thought that just came to my mind, and I just want to encourage, um, you know, anyone listening today and whatever platform you're listening to this on, I want to encourage you to do something because uh, I'm just so thankful for the way the Lord is leading you, Son, in your ministry here and with the Sanctified Reason podcast. But I just want to encourage any listener today, if you would think about maybe two or three friends that you have, and if you know anyone that would be blessed by the content that you just heard on this podcast, if you would consider, um, you know, getting them connected to that somehow, sending it to them, getting them linked to it somehow, some way, so that they can listen and maybe pass it on to a friend, because that's I know that's why Son does this, and, and, and I know that that's why I'm so thankful to be able to uh, to come on board here with Son and, and uh, do the podcast along with him too. But if, if you, my friend, would just consider that, um, you don't know who might be out there that God wants to reach uh, through this podcast. So that was just a little plug, Son. I, I just think it's uh, it, it's fantastic what you're doing, and I just uh, would love to see anybody who's going to be blessed by this, you know, listen to it. Yeah, and the podcast can be found on uh, most podcast platforms. You just kind of search uh, sanctified reason and it pops up or you can just go to uh, my instagram page uh, which is edem rocks e-i-d-e-m-r-o-c-k-s edem rocks on instagram and there's a link in the bio and you can click the uh, sanctified reason link and uh, takes you to the podcast or you can just go to radio warp radio w-a-r-p radio warp.com and you can find it there as well Dan, thanks so much. We appreciate it, and we look forward to uh, many more conversations as uh, God allows us. Well, I do as well, Son, and uh, I look forward now to our the, the quickly approaching new year, and, and uh, we pray that all the listeners you know, are, are blessed uh, in the Lord in the new year, and, and I look forward, Son, to our visits in uh, 2022. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend, and until next time, God bless.